Hey guys, it's Mike. This is my first, uh, it might be the last if it doesn't work out, but this is my first podcast on the walk. Um, I'm outside of my house, my rental home in the country of, uh, Northern Prescott. It's in, uh, you know, Northwest of Prescott, about 40 minutes. I live on a rental property in the middle of nowhere and I'm on my walk and I'm running my AirPods inside my ear. And, you know, it's a good opportunity for me to get exercise outdoors, um, but also have the opportunity to uh, talk to you guys and tell you some thoughts that are on my mind. I think I, I like most people, are the most creative. Uh, the truck's about to drive by, so you might pick that up on the audio recording. Um, but I, like most people, get the most creative when I'm uh, on my walks or during exercise, uh, that showers and driving in my car. And uh, luckily, I look at a 40-minute commute with no traffic in the middle of the country as an opportunity to be creative, to collect my thoughts, listen to podcasts, and, you know, uh, beneficial for my mind, uh, beneficial for, like, the mental hygiene aspect as well. You know, I've been on the road lately been real busy as usual with Philcraft Survival. My business uh, had a lot of changes happen in the last 30 days. Uh, some of them wanted, some of them unwanted, uh, but I like to have an optimistic perspective when it comes to business, when it comes to evolving as a company. You know, I just did a podcast with uh, Evan Hafer, the CEO of Black Rifle Coffee. Evan's uh, been a good friend, has mentored me in business has been hugely, obviously hugely successful with Black Rifle Coffee. I did that podcast and started a lot of, you know, digging deeper into the growth and evolution of my business, which is Philcraft, if you don't know it. Um, Philcraft has always been a business with a mission statement. That is to prepare the citizen with the tools necessary to survive. You know, I took a lot of the experience that I had in special operations and translated that for civilian use, citizen use, you know, because talking about law enforcement, first responders, uh, teachers, everybody. And did a lot of information sharing with things that I, I thought helped me um, in special operations survive, as well as my time as a government contractor. Sorry, I'm out of breath right now. I'm like walking up a 45 degree uh, hill right now. Um, but, you know, my mission statement has always been to provide training, equipment and mindset, which can be taught. Uh, to better humanity. I mean, one of the things that I've discovered in civilian, and I hate to, I don't know, I hate to differentiate the two, civilian versus military life, but there is a huge contrast there. I mean, it's, it's a lot different. And so I kind of wanted to bridge the gap because a lot of the information that you learn in the military even in the basic life skills can be beneficial to people 
in the civilian sector who are looking for, you know, tactics, not necessarily in how to operate a firearm, but just to live in life. And so I found this opportunity through Philcraft to be able to teach people, you know, not just tactics, but planning, preparation, you know, how to think about things. Uh, because I was taught that way. You know, when I went in the Army at 17 years old, I wasn't, I mean, I was a child. I had street experience because I kind of feel like I grew up on the streets. You know, I grew up not sitting on my ass playing on an iPad. I grew up um, running up and down the streets, hanging out with neighbors, playing outside, and then uh, eventually lived on my own when I was 16. And so I joined the army when I was 17, but that didn't prepare me for life. And so a lot of the things that I teach now, I was taught by, you know, junior and senior members of special operations and how to think, how to bad guys think, unconventional warfare, you know, how to think about things uh, outside the box and not so conventional. And so when I think about my military experience in life with, you know, 15, 16 years of active duty experience and then how that translates, it's all relative and it's all, it's all meaningful and it, and it can be utilized to enhance your life as well. And I truly believe that I wouldn't, you know, spend 90% of all my time trying to talk about that. Um, if I didn't see results, um, you know, in the beginning in small increments, now in large increments, then I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. You know, I had eight combat deployments while in the military, while in the Army, and seven rotations as a direct independent contractor for a government agency. And I don't typically talk about that aspect of my life, but that aspect, which was, you know, the last few years about operational experience led me to some really great life lessons learned about, you know, counterterrorism, which was my realm, uh, but also about life, you know, operating in that environment, which was all these, for lack of better terminology, clandestine environments, really helped shape and prepare me um, for my life transitioning into the business world. I, I give credit, and I, I usually advocate this to veterans. Civilian life is not easy. Um, what I tell veterans is it's like operating in the worst, most extreme conditions with no support. In the military, although, you know, there's politics just like everywhere else, um, you always have support, service support. Command and signal are, you know, staples of being able to facilitate an operation or a mission. And so I feel like when I look at my military and government experience, uh, I, it kind of came full spectrum, full circle for me. Um, and now doing field craft survival obviously has been a, a huge passion of mine. Um, 
one, I just wanted to get on the podcast and talk about a few things. Um, I started a Patreon account. Still trying to fill it out because I don't think it hasn't been popular. You know, I'm not all about the popularity, but um, it doesn't seem like it's picking up. Uh, I, I'll continue to feed the information that's there, but it's on mindset, uh, lifestyle, kind of more intimate mentoring for people who are interested in it. Um, you know, my life has become this uh, consulting role of trying to help people think about preparedness and prepare for preparedness. You know, it's like, what do I do when I ask myself the question, um, if something happened right now, a natural disaster, you know, ripped all the power stations out of the earth and you didn't have electricity for months, what would you do? And so if you can't answer that, I want to be able to provide that answer for you because I've been in remote, austere environments where that's happened, where we've had to prepare um, in special operations for those inevitable things. You know, the world doesn't operate like uh, the freedom of our country operates. And so also with that, the lifestyle that I've lived in physical fitness and nutrition mindset and, you know, more importantly, the behavior and habits that I've developed are critical to my success and what I do, whether it's business or, you know, potentially a counterterrorism operation in my past life. So my Patreon account, which is uh, patreon.com backslash Mike Glover, G-L-O-V-E-R, um, is about that. And I just wanted to mention that to you guys if you guys are interested. Also, we have a Patreon account. Oh, I'm sorry, not a Patreon account, but a Venmo account set up at Fieldcraft for anybody who's interested in donating to this podcast. I don't know if this will work, but you know what? Uh, your feedback is uh, greatly appreciated. You know, you can email me at info at fieldcraftsurvival.com and let me know if this is working. I actually like these more intimate opportunities to talk with you guys and get kind of some thoughts or, you know, kind of the commentary that I've had weighing on my mind um, as I navigate this world of preparedness that I'm trying to prepare uh, you guys for. And so it's a good shakeout opportunity. One thing I've been debating is uh, writing a book. And for the first time in my business's growth, uh, I have an opportunity to potentially do that with time. And I want to do it on modern survival. I mean, I've been asked to do autobiographies on myself or an autobiography on myself, um, talk about my experiences at war, specifically Iraq, because I've been there so, so often. Um, but I don't know if I'm ready for that. Um, not now. I think more importantly, I want to talk about and consolidate the information about preparedness, modern survival as I look at it. You know, so many people in the world look at survival and associate or correlate the word prepper. And prepper has such a bad stigma attached to it. You know, you think about prepper, you instantly think about the guy who's living in the mobile home park, um, you know, tucked away uh, somewhere in New Mexico with antennas all over his house who has a ham radio set up as a conspiracy theorist and scared of the world. Um, but I don't think that's the case anymore. I think people are smart with the access of information to uh, debunk a lot of the conspiracy 
theories that people have, you have the first time um, in our in our human history uh, to allow us to access information and develop, you know, plans, ideas, uh, even theories that potentially can be proven uh, in the realm of survival. You know, a lot of people used to fear the government, and now with the transparency of social media and the internet, um, it's not that easy to hide anymore, or it's at least that not that easy to shield yourself um, and allow people to conspiracize, which is a good thing. It's access to information. So the one thing I wanted to do is consolidate a lot of my world experiences, and I'm world, I mean traveling, and all these places that aren't the friendliest places in the world. You know, Yemen, Pakistan, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, um, Algeria, uh, Niger, Africa, Nigeria, um, all these places that have been affected by terrorism, afflicted by oppression. Um, and there's a lot of things to learn out of that stuff. You know, I want to, I want to bring people together and talk about, Hey, what can I do to prepare? Not just myself, not just my mindset, you know, and my own self-reliance, but my families, my friends, my house, my community, and do so in a way that allows people to understand that they can do it and not look crazy, you know, not look like a prepper. A modern survival for me in my career in special operations was essential, and it started with planning. You know, it started with uh, not just planning. It started with analyzing and assessing information. You know, in a operational construct of planning, we do. We do course of action development. We do assessments. We do uh, information analysis of the potential area of operation that we're going into. We get, you know, the friendly information um, for joining forces and coordinating instructions and all that other stuff. But we also look at uh, the enemy. And when we look at the enemy, we don't just look at, you know, the, the, the tactician, um, the, the, the ground pounder, the terrorist who's enacting all the ter- terrorist activities. But we're also looking at uh, the key players, the enablers, the facilitators. And it's just full spectrum analysis on everything that's going on. If we take some of that information and how we uh, analyze information and plan for an operation, you would see that a lot of things that we do translate into your own or or your family or your homes or your community's own self-defense and preparation for the worst case scenario. You know, one thing I've always said is that freedom is a luxury. You know, the rest of the world doesn't look at freedom the way that we look at freedom. And often when we look at freedom, it's uh, we're common, commonly uh, neglecting and being complacent about our status and our, our gift in the world. You know, our, our freedom has been carried on the backs of men and women who have served in our armed forces 
in our government um, is usually not thought about when you're going to Starbucks and you don't have to worry about being kidnapped. Um, when you were at, a, at an event with your family and you don't have to worry about uh, the venue because of the people being blown up. Um, you know, a lot of those things that we are supposed to appreciate, we neglect. We often neglect. So what I want to do is lie that information out and make it really easy for normal people to implement change in their lives. And just a sneak peek going into like probably chapter one of the beginning of this book is it starts with yourself. It starts with you as an individual. A lot of people don't understand that in social operations, to be a good operator, you have to be disciplined. You have to have the morals and values as a baseline to be able to execute any of the things that you're planning. Because if you didn't have those foundational values or disciplines, then you wouldn't, able, you wouldn't be able to execute or follow through with everything that you're talking about. And so that's an important fundamental to focus on is yourself, self-reliance. You know, as self-reliance ties itself into survival, it's probably the most important and critical element of survival as a whole. Because without self-reliance, without individual responsibility, then how can you help anybody else? How can you help your family? How can you help your community? Um, in special operations, if you're not a good operator as an individual, you'll never be a good team player. You'll never be a good team player in an operational unit. And that will be the weak link uh, in the chain that's going to be effective. So it's how do I make myself a um, an asset as opposed to a liability? One of the things that you have to consider is that if you want to be self-reliant, you have to um, not only trust your instincts, um, but you have to be willing to implement change um, in those instincts. What I mean is, let's say, for example, you determine that you've identified weaknesses in yourself. Let's just start with your physical fitness level. Well, if I told you that your physical fitness level is a direct translation, statistically, whether you're going to survive or not survive. Um, and, you know, this is outside of mindset, just your physical composition, meaning if you're overweight, out of shape, lack cardiovascular fitness, upper body strength, that that would directly lead to you being a liability and potentially as an individual um, not surviving a catastrophe. Well, if I told you that, would that change your mind? Maybe. And the reason it's a maybe is because most people who know that, because they know that, but they just don't really care because it doesn't, it doesn't matter in their lives. Until it does, right? Let's just say you work a nine to five and you work in a cubicle. Your weekdays are swallowed up by uh, your nine to five at your corporate gig. And then you get off, you hit the gas station, you buy that six pack of beer, 
you, you pick up that fast food, you go home, and then you crush that chow and drink that beer watching your favorite show on Netflix, only to do the whole thing over again. And then you waste the weekends doing the same. And then when the worst case scenario happens, you're not prepared. But it hasn't happened, so you don't care. But what, what if I told you that when it does happen, you'll be a liability to yourself, and not only that, to your family, and that you will be the first to die. You will be the first to be a casualty of that catastrophic event. And catastrophes happen every day, obviously. I mean, as I'm recording this, a tsunami that was activated by a volcano destroyed a portion or a community t- a town, small small town in Indonesia. You know, and so these things happen all over the world, including the United States all the time. But it doesn't matter to you, right? Because you don't care because it's not affecting you until it is. And we look at the scale of modern survival. We look at the scale of modern survival as things we see in the media. You know, everybody hears about these catastrophes that take place all over the world. But until it happens to us, we don't really care. You know, until um, a wildfire rips through our town in Northern California and kills hundreds of people, until we're affected, it doesn't matter. But on a gross scale, that's a perception. That's a perspective. But what about in a smaller scale? What about that time that you're in the accident, the vehicle accident, and your survival or that of your family's survival depends on you getting out of a bad situation? meaning pulling your loved one from the vehicle or even pulling yourself from your own vehicle. Um, catastrophe happens every single day in different forms. You know, being a, I don't think if I'm, I don't look at myself as an academic of survival, but I want to be taken more seriously in survival. So I'm going to write, I'm going to start writing articles and books. And when I look at individual survival, what blows my mind is that uh, this attitude of not caring uh, transcends all. It's natural, though, right? And the freedoms of of our country, complacency is bred, and that is a true um, effect on the populations of those that are free. One thing that occurred to me, I was just thinking about this the other day, is when I was in Libya, I spent almost a year in Libya. I did six months as a military guy. And I went back as a contractor for an additional four months. Uh, I think I did, I did two different rotations as a uh, contractor. But when I look at Libya, for example, I would be driving. And there's no, no street laws, really. There's no people directing traffic. Most of the street signs and street uh, signals were broken. And so you would come across an intersection of a highway that didn't have defined lines. So everybody's just driving all over the place. And you come to an intersection and there's no lights. But people would manage to, you know, convert or divert each other. And there'd be conversions of vehicles. And when I realized, having driven there for almost a year, um, I didn't see any accidents. It was rare. Maybe one or two major accidents I saw, and I, and I don't don't get me wrong, when they were bad, they were horrific, and so I remember being in that environment, going, why is there no accidents? What is the reason 
that people here are driving with no laws, no limits. I mean, it's like an Autobahn, uh, five lanes across with no lanes. And why is nobody dying? And then it occurred to me that nobody was on their phone. Nobody was distracted because the ramifications and um, the consequence to not paying attention on the road was certain death. Meaning, if you were texting and driving, you could die because there was no laws. And so people's attention were focused and narrow on one task. And they weren't um, convoluted or task-saturated in all these things that they were living in. And so uh, there was also a a rule that was unspoken that I I soon uh, began to realize. That when you're in Libya... And you're driving with your nose further in front than the car next to you, then you have the right of way. Meaning, if I decided to go and take a hard right, knowing that somebody was in my blind spot, the person in the blind spot would have to put on the brakes and get on it hard. Because if they didn't, they would get hit and it would be their fault. And so you could blindly drive and in front of you, not worry about the side and the rear of you. And that was your window. Of focus. And so everybody who was behind that window of focus knew that they weren't justified in being in those spots, or if you cut them off, there was no such thing as a cutoff. And so it made me think about our our system in which you cut somebody off and they want to fight you. Or at a minimum, they're so infuriated that you get you get uh elements of road rage. So there's no acceptance of this unspoken rule of, hey, what's in front of me? I see, I see. It doesn't justify me having to look over my shoulder or look behind me uh, looking in the blind spots because the responsibility of the onus is to the driver uh, to pay attention to what's in front of him and to the uh, adjoining people driving around them to pay attention to their car and what they're doing. And it, it just made me, it boggled my mind. And as a, as a, a case study in survival, in my mind, it just shows you a few things. One, it shows you that in freedom, with structure, the way we think is different than the rest of the world. Now, I'm not going to tie any correlations in saying that freedom is bad because I appreciate the fact that we can drive with structure, with law, um, with uh, some formulations of uh, reason. But without those things that people across the world are still able to do those with less frequency of accidents, uh, of incidents that involve catastrophe. So in a nutshell, the focus needs to be with the individual. That's what I take away from that, that we have burdened our society with all these excuses of, you know, hey, I cut this guy off or he hit me from behind. So it's the guy who hit me from behind's fault. And when that shouldn't be the case, when we should ha- we should be individually responsible for our own actions. Um, but we sue each other. But we pawn it off on each other. Uh, we make excuses. We're overly sensitive. And so there's all these instances as individuals where. Our society is really falling apart. You know, a lot of people 
when you talk about self-reliance, are all about it until it comes to finances, until it comes to money, because uh, money equals security, right? We have, obviously, the largest welfare system in the world that's growing. And when you think about what that does to an individual's responsibility and onus, it, it completely obliterates the mechanism for us to be incentivized to drive forward to do great things because why should I? When I can lay here on my couch and watch reruns of uh, my favorite TV show and eat Kraft macaroni and cheese that I got on these food stamps. You know, a lot of the things that we do in this country are meant to provide support to uh, the, the displaced, we'll call them, right? The oppressed, some people will call them. But what it does is it hurts us long term because the reality is we're all afforded the same opportunities. And how that ties into survival is it makes us more complacent. What, it, what I've realized in working with clients from every demographic is that it's like whole foods, right? It's like natural whole foods. When you have whole foods, for some reason, because it's a niche market, right? Organic food is more expensive. I was just watching a documentary on Netflix about um, dairy farmers. And the smartest of the dairy farmers started uh, doing bottled milk, um, unpasteurized, and whole, raw, raw, raw milk. And there's a big uh, argument about the safety of that and the FDA's, FDA's regulation of it. But this farm was getting around that and they were selling it and or between organic milk, right, um, and this raw form of milk, they were selling it for like 10 times. And sorry, you know, I don't have 100 percent of the facts, but based a lot more than regular dairy farmers. So it's a niche market. And so. The whole food analogy is you have to be you have to be wealthy in order to be um, better, better fed or um, eating a better diet in America, as opposed to you hit a grocery store, which 65 to 70 percent of that grocery store is fake food. It's not even real food. And that's where you can spend your food stamps on government cheese because it's cheap. Cheese is cheap, but it's also um, not real cheese. It's come, it comes in a in a packet where you it never goes bad. It has more preservatives and more sodium than anything else. So when you look at preparedness, it's the same way. You know who can afford a you know year's worth of rations, an underground bunker, a you know a suite set up for self defense, um, tactical training on the side. So. With that outline, there's a lot of opportunity there in, in my demographic, in my market, whereby you can get information to help yourself in survival without being wealthy. There's no need for you to be wealthy in order to be better prepared. Self-defense self defense comes first with mindset and self-reliance. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of uh, enacting behaviors and actions in your life. And so that's an important imperative. That's important to, to really understand. Um, I want to write this book in order to motivate people to, to know that 
you know, there is a theory and there is a method and there's a way to do it. And I want to provide those what I typically call tangible takeaways and how to do it. Sorry, I went on a rant there. I just realized that. Um, but I'm walking. I, and I hope this information has helped somebody. I actually enjoy these because um, I don't get an opportunity uh, often to be by myself and to uh, share thoughts with you straight out of my head. Um, my schedule is usually busy and packed all day long until I go to bed. So, yeah, really enjoyed this. Uh, I hope you guys are having a, a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. You know, I, I've been a big fan of Christmas since I was a, a small child. Uh, my dad and my mom um, both made Christmas really special. You know, I didn't, we didn't have a lot growing up. Um, I remember my mom really didn't even celebrate Christmas because we just didn't have a lot of money. And she would go out of her way, you know, to get a, a small tree, something to put up on a on a desk and make it um, make it special. I remember, uh, one year my dad bought me a Nintendo from a flea market, uh, in a cardboard box, but couldn't afford the video games. So he rented some games from Gator video in Daytona beach, Florida. And, you know, even though I had to take them back in a couple of days after Christmas, um, you know, he, he tried his best. So, you know, I look at my, my childhood and it was really great, even though we didn't have a lot of money. What I realized is it doesn't take a lot of money to be happy with family and friends. In fact, uh, one of the things I think about is the rest of the world's position on happiness. You know, and when you live in the middle of Afghanistan and you don't have opportunities there and your life is well defined, who you're going to marry, what you're going to do, how it's going to be, um, you could still find happiness in small things. And sometimes those small things are bigger than the tangible things that we think will bring us happiness. Um, like Puff Daddy once said, it's more money, more problems. And I think that holds true um, in every sense, in every society, that tangible, material things in this world are not going to make you happy. Uh, it's the small things. It's memories. It's experiences. It's laughter. It's uh, holidays. Um, so, yeah, I hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I'm actually filming a podcast in two days um, with the U.S. Army with uh, Matt Vinson, who's a buddy of mine, a local recruiter, who's bringing in his commander and his first sergeant. So it should be a great, great podcast. Um, yeah, I appreciate you guys. If you guys want to follow us, we're available on social media and Instagram specifically at Phil Craft Survival. Uh, we also have Facebook, Phil Craft Survival, YouTube, Phil Craft Survival. Um, and you can check me out on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Mike Glover. Thanks, guys. Have a good day.